to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma, and I'm your host, Trish Gloss. The delightful Sarah Hallman on the podcast today. If you recognize her name, maybe her face, it's because she was on a season of Bravo's Top Chef. Sarah says it was a trip to Spain after high school where she really discovered her passion and love for food. Back in the States, she enrolled in culinary school and her cooking career took off. She worked in several restaurants along the West Coast. She also worked at a restaurant in Spain, one of the best in the world. No big deal. She says the year 2020 was a big one for her. That's when she was invited to compete on Top Chef. Also, though, her company, Tiny Fish, really started to take shape. She talks about the show, what she learned from it, what changed for her afterwards, and this company, why it was so incredibly important for her to start it, and what she's learned along the way. She says the biggest takeaway, though, in the last several months has been all about leaning in to not only what you can do, but who you are. Here's Sarah Hall. Sarah Hallman rhymes with ramen. That's how. Um... Yes. Oh my God. That's great. I've never heard that before. Okay. So that's. I've never heard this. Hallman rhymes with ramen. That's Hallman, great. Hallman uh, rhymes with, with ramen. I was, I was looking it <laughs> up because I'm like, I can't ask her how it's pronounced. I need to know. Um, I mean, honestly, I think, I think if you're going to like say it right, it's Hallman, but. I don't know. I grew up calling saying Hallman. Very recently, someone was like, do you know that your last name is human, but with an A added into it? And I thought, oh, my God, I never actually realized that. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, what is <laughs> Hallman? Cool. What is that? Uh, it's like German, Belgian. Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, yep. yep. Well, Mostly Hungarian. A little bit of Belgian thrown in there. <laughs> we're all mutts, right? At, at the end of the day, we're all <laughs> Absolutely. mutts. So Sarah Hallman, you're chef. You are the owner of Tin Fish Company, Tiny Fish. You've worked in restaurants all yeah. across the West Coast, even in Spain. We're going to talk a lot about um, all of that. And a lot of people will probably recognize your name or your face because you were on Bravo's Top Chef, which we're also going to talk about. I was. I was. Yeah, I was on a silly TV show. <laughs> not silly. Not silly at all. And you're actually not joining silly. me. Um, you're joining me from Portland. So we're neighbors, basically. Yes. Yes, we are neighbors. I I just was kind of I took a road trip actually from San Francisco up to Portland because I, I had quite the busy June and I know I needed a little break in between getting back to like crazy work again. So I just uh, I just kind of took a little road detour throughout Oregon. <laughs> Good for you. It's a beautiful state. It really is. Yeah. Um, originally, is though, you are from uh, Southern California, San Diego, right? I am. Area. I am. Yes. I'm from the San Diego area. I'm from a little town about 45 minutes north of San Diego called Vista. Pretty much smack dab in between Riverside and downtown San Diego. Um, not necessarily close. I mean, it's close to the beach. It's like, I don't know, 10 minute drive, but <laughs> definitely more inland. Um, I grew up kind of normal. It was a cute little town. Went right. to school, <laughs> played lots of sports. <laughs> so I visited San Diego once, I believe, in college, and my first thought was like, "Wait, people live here? They live? They live here?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, the weather's pretty great. I when I grew up, it was like ninety degrees and flip flops mm -hmm. <laughs> during Christmas time, <laughs> and I can only imagine now, decades later since I've lived there, that it's. Uh, it's substantially more hot. <laughs> yeah. Fire season is 
quite, uh, it used to be like every couple of years there would be a bad fire, but now I feel like it's just every year, you mm. know, you have that couple of months where it's smoky, unfortunately. But, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. People, people love San Diego. The weather's fantastic. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it is. It is incredible weather. Um, growing up though, um, you said pretty normal. Was food important yeah. in your family growing up? You know, food was decently important. We definitely, my mom cooked a lot uh, at home. My dad kind of had a weird work schedule. So my dad was at work for basically a week straight. I wouldn't see him. And then he would be back at home for a week without, uh, he'd be completely off for a week. So usually when my dad was off, we would like go out to dinner once a week and he would kind of deal with the cooking on those days uh, or those weeks, I should say. And then my mom would cook the rest of the time. So it was a little, it was kind of mixed up a bit, but uh, you know, I got to be honest, neither of them were like the best cooks. (laughs) 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 I think um, for me, I don't know. I always loved, uh, although we didn't do it quite as often as maybe my dad would have liked, or I would have liked as a kid, uh, whenever we visited my dad's side of the family, my grandma and grandpa in Illinois, I really loved, uh, it was kind of a different house for me because growing up in San Diego or even in California, you don't really have basements. Um, like they do in the Midwest. So every time we would go, I would go down to the basement and see all my grandma's jars of preserves and pickles and all those really cool things. And I just thought it was like to have something that can sit on the shelf at room temperature is really cool. Mm-hmm. And that the fact that she made it was super cool. I loved, uh, you know, obviously we usually visited for holidays or whatever. So uh, I just love the fact that when she was in the kitchen, she was the boss and she could tell everyone like, leave the kitchen, you know, and everyone kind of just left her alone. So maybe that's where I was got really excited about it because I do very much enjoy uh, my solo time. That is for sure. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) You know, I've done interviews with um, other chefs and it's kind of split. Some of them really like to have people in the kitchen helping them, but a lot are like, get the hell out. Like, this is my domain. I'm a control freak. I don't want you in here. Yeah, I, you know, I don't mind a little chitter chatter here and there. Like, basically, it's as if they're standing on, you know, the, the, edge of they're standing on the sidelines of like this soccer field (laughs) please don't enter the soccer field I'm the only one playing (laughs) you can comment you can we can drink wine together but just don't walk in the kitchen please don't touch anything (laughs) maybe you can do some dishes afterwards (laughs) you can applaud but that's about it right that yeah, that's the best part about cooking, though, is because uh, once you cook dinner, everyone jumps at uh, helping the dishes. So that is nice. <laughs> that's I, was that's it the best part about it? Was it after after high school that you went to Spain? Was that? I did. Yeah, so I went to Spain a couple of times. My my parents uh, split up pretty much the year, the first year that I was in high school, and I. My dad, it was the time of the chat rooms, <laughs> the AOL oh chat rooms. My dad, oh yeah. <laughs> so my dad being, you know, older in life, he decided to go on one of these chat rooms. He met a British woman who lived in the south of Spain. So uh, the whole plan was I was going to graduate from high school and my dad was going to retire. And of course, I decided that maybe I would take a little break from high school or between high school and figuring out whatever it is that I wanted to do. Uh, so I wound up in the South of Spain for about a year. 
got to be honest, I didn't do anything. I was a lazy sack of potatoes. Good for you. <laughs> I just kind of roamed around and ate a bunch of food. <laughs> it was it was really great. Um, I had a lot of uh, quality time with my dad too. We would like cook dinner often, and the summers were so beautiful there. Um, and then I came back and kind of, uh, you know, I got to be honest, I definitely, I did well in high school. I did well in school. I've, I've always been pretty like book smart and studious. And, you know, I, I really do like excelling at <laughs> things like that. Uh, so I did have like three acceptance into whatever UC I wanted, but I just never um, just didn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I think uh, the theme of my life is always swimming against the current. <laughs> I definitely always choose the unexpected path um, or the detour or the long way around or, you know, making, my, I used to get really frustrated with myself about making my life extra difficult on myself. Um, but I think now having had a little bit more time, I'm a little older, a little wiser. And I think that, you know, there's a reason I took the path that I did and my might have been a little bit of a roundabout way to go about things but um you know I really do learn with experience I think that's the that for me is the greatest thing is that I've had all these crazy experiences because I haven't taken that normal path of go to college get your degree get a job <laughs> that right. sort of thing well at the end of the day your path is your path right and it's no one else's Absolutely. and you're traveling that um was it in, in Spain that you kind of fell in love with food, was that a lot of motivation to go to culinary school? Yeah, that, it was, you know, I was, I was really always interested in food. My dad and I would go fishing. I thought like cleaning the fish was the coolest thing ever. I wanted to like poke the eyeballs and get the cheeks and nice. all that good stuff. Um, I definitely was the kid, you know, we would go out to wherever, like a chain sushi restaurant and I would want the craziest thing. I, I had to order the weirdest thing. You know, I always wanted to try it. Um, I remember in high school randomly too, I think a couple of my teachers actually kind of noticed that I was really into cooking. And so they actually took me to one of those like cooking classes at Sir Le Tom, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. So it really, when I kind of look back at my life, it definitely was always there. And I, it never just, it never really occurred to me that I could go to cooking school, I guess, mm -hmm. um, until it came to the point where, you know, I know I needed to get some sort of education to appease my mother. <laughs> so I said, okay, great. I'll go to culinary school, I guess. And she was, she was just happy. I was back in the U S and going to school. So that's what I did. <laughs> did you, did you fit there? Did it make sense when you enrolled? Was it like, ah, aha, this is it. Um, you know, I think what it was, was the whole, my whole circumstance because I didn't just, um, I didn't just go to school. Mm -hmm. I went to school full time. So I took all of my cooking classes you had to do on campus. And then you still had to, you know, I got a bachelor's degree in whatever culinary management doesn't mean anything but regardless you know like I had to take I had to take uh normal classes too so I took all the normal classes online I went um to the actual campus uh to cook and I also worked completely full-time that entire period of my life so quite honestly I was exhausted I had several meltdowns of like what am I doing with my life um but 
I think, you know, honestly, if you can't go to school full time and work full time, the restaurant industry is probably not for you. I know so many people that I went to culinary school with and, you know, maybe they <laughs> went to culinary school and that was all they did. They just went to school. They had like a little bit of a part time job. Um, but so many people I know are just not in the industry anymore. And I think it really takes like a very strong work ethic. Uh, you have to you have to really enjoy. I I just, I enjoy, I enjoy getting sweaty every day, you know, and going to work and having to take a shower afterwards because you're so stinky. And yeah. it's this sense of accomplishment after a full day. Yeah. Um, obviously I was very tired in my twenties, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we made it happen. And, you know, again, like I said, I, I, I really think um, a true test of someone who can stand the industry that the restaurant industry is that working full-time and going to school full-time. And I worked full-time in a kitchen too. So yeah. I was I was basically like hitting it from all the angles. <laughs> yeah, like when did you sleep, right? And I've heard that too, like especially from people who are super <laughs> passionate about cooking and wanting to be a chef. They worked full-time in a kitchen. They went to school full-time. And it was this like daily grind of barely getting any sleep. And literally, like yep. you said, meltdowns, like having meltdowns occasionally, frequently. Yeah. <laughs> I mean- I mean, yeah, I, I remember, you know, I would skip out on class sometimes because I was so exhausted, like I would have a headache because mm-hmm. I'm just so tired, you know, I don't necessarily know if I would recommend it, <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, like it's, 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 I think it really showed me that one, I have a very strong work ethic, mm-hmm. which is exactly definitely what you need to kitchen. You cannot <laughs> work in a kitchen without a strong work ethic. I think it also, um, you know, it showed, it showed to me that I am really passionate about it. And even, even in the midst of like being so delirious, <laughs> you have no idea what's going on. And I can't even remember what I did on my 21st birthday. Oh, um, man. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, at least um, I think it's just this passion for it that I didn't, you know, I, I still really love cooking and it's really hard. It's, it's, I think it's easy to kind of get stuck in this groove of like, what the hell am I doing and, and whatnot. But I kind of started that way. And maybe that's why it's always been kind of a love hate relationship with restaurants. But yeah, I don't know. I just think working hard, working hard is part of the deal. It, it is. You can't, you can't do it. it <laughs> then is. You, you might as well just find something else. <laughs> um, I totally agree. And work ethic is one of those things that was drilled into me at a very young age. Um, you don't call yeah. in sick, right? You, you just go, right. Even if you feel like, shit, absolutely. You if, you're, if you're, if you're, if you're hungover, like that is <laughs> not an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, because Honestly, if you're hungover, you did that to yourself. Like you're not like, absolutely. right. <laughs> you have to suffer through it. <laughs> right. I, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I just, I've always loved working. You know, I got a job at the very moment I could, I think, you know, when I was 14 or 15 and you had to get your parents to sign the thing, I, you know, sure, I was working in like a clothing store or whatever, <laughs> but, Still. you know, I, even, even in high school, I was working close to 30 hours a week just because I, I don't know, there's something really satisfying to me about being really productive and, and earning money for myself and supporting myself. It just seems like, you know, I, I just, I get a kick out of it, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. I left the TV news biz last year. And so my days before were like, you go into work and then you're done at 630 and you come home and it was very consistent. And now yeah. my work days are random. Sometimes I work 
seven days a week. Sometimes I work three days a week, but it's odd. I will tell you that, like not having, if you're like, I don't really have a whole lot to do today. It feels gross, especially if for someone who has a strong work ethic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been kind of going through the same thing. I had a pretty, pretty rough, like I've, I've, basically haven't even been self-employed for a year yet. It'll be a year at the end of July. And being my own boss has always been something, a goal of mine. And I've always worked for someone else. And I think years and years and years of that strong work ethic and of basically giving every single thing, you know, ounce of energy that I have to whatever job that I have has finally taken a toll on me. And I realized that I really hadn't stuck with any job for more than a couple years since my early 20s. And I felt like it's, you know, is because I'm giving so much of myself to something that's not actually mine at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not feeling that sense of ownership, I guess. So finally, you know, at the beginning of the year, like I said, it, it was a little rough for me. And I think it was rough because of what you, you know, had mentioned of like, not having a schedule and, uh, you know, having like, a day during the middle of the week where I don't have anything to do and I'm feeling obligated to work, but what does work mean? And a lot of times when you're, you know, just starting a business, you don't get that exchange. You don't get the, like, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to clock in and I'm going to get a paycheck. Mm -hmm. You're just like, well, I'm going to just do some stuff. And then I don't know, I don't know where money's coming from. (laughs) I guess I'm just going to keep myself busy. But then you end up, you know, if you're me, you're like, oh my God, I've kept myself busy (laughs) for Mm -hmm. literally three weeks straight. Sarah, take some time off. Um, It's, I think it was for me figuring out the balance and understanding that now that like, you know, maybe I have three, three weeks of work straight but then I can take 10 days off and not worry about it because I've done everything that I've had to do. And I don't necessarily like need to look at my phone pretty much. I'm kind of working towards working towards a healthier lifestyle now. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like you've been watching me the last like few months. It's so, (laughs) it's hard. It's hard when, when you're very, when you're a productive person, it's hard to wake up and just look at your calendar and go, I don't have anything to do today. I I have to figure something out for me to do. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, for me, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to just make a million uh, Instagram videos, (laughs) you know, cooking and whatever. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, Sarah, she's really like on the Instagram. I honestly was just doing it because I was super bored and I didn't know what else to do with myself. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to keep doing these because people seem to like them. (laughs) No, I feel that. Not Um, to mention it's it's great for like keeping myself fed (laughs) because that, that gets hard too for me because I work super hard during the day and I, I hate eating during the day because it slows me down. Always the same in a kitchen too. I feel like people, there's a very big like miss, uh, uh, like it's misjudged that chefs are really well fed. We are very not well fed. We graze on very fatty ingredients all day, <laughs> low nutrition. <laughs> so I definitely, um, like I said, I, I took a step back. I kind of reevaluated. I was like, okay, we need to be a little bit healthier. Let's put a little exercise into our day. Maybe if we don't know what to do, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. a little walk, get some vitamin D, eat some vegetables, <laughs> cook a nice dinner for myself, mm-hmm. you know, because I think that's a huge thing for me too, is when I cook, it's about, it's always been about other people. It's never been about me really. It's been about 
the joy that I get from sharing what I made with someone else. That's what, that's where I get my excitement and my happiness. And I, of course I love food and I love eating, but um, when I'm actually cooking, it's more about everyone else. Mm -hmm. It's not really about me at that moment. Um, So just trying to treat myself a little bit nicer. Like I said, cook myself a nice meal (laughs) because I matter too. (laughs) Yeah, you do. No. And if you, yeah, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of really anybody else. Absolutely. Super important. Absolutely. So you finish culinary school, you're working in restaurants, but at some point you decide to go back to Spain. Back to Spain. I read this was kind of working in this restaurant specifically was on your bucket list. It was, it was. Yeah. I, so I moved up to San Francisco and I had worked at Bar Agricole with my buddy, Brandon Jew, who just did really, really well at the James Reed Awards this year. Um, I was very proud of him, very excited for him. Um, so I was working at a restaurant called Bar Agricole for, I was there for almost three years. That was probably the, the longest job that I had. <laughs> uh, but within that, I had had several second jobs, of course, because what what else would I do other than like get of a baking job in the morning? Of course, sure, stupid. Makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like I don't have to be at work till like three, so I might as well just get another job. Oh my fine. gosh. <laughs> Uh, so I, uh, I was working there and it was kind of like, you know, I was getting a little antsy and I had always wanted to work abroad. I didn't really know how to go about it. So I just, I got to be honest, I, I went on that San Pellegrino best 50 best list and I emailed the restaurants I wanted to work at. And I said, I was just like, hi, this is me. Here's my resume. And, you know, I'm looking for looking for a stage, was what they call it. I'm looking for a stage, um, basically it's unpaid, uh, for this amount of time. And I really need um, a lot of, a lot of times, especially in Europe, they have housing for like the free labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of my, my things. It was like, I'd like to be there for a couple months. I need free housing and I will absolutely work my butt off basically. And Echabari was the restaurant that I really, wanted to go to I thought it was beautiful you know I think I was first introduced to it with uh, Anthony Bourdain had gone there on like the it's, no reservations the Bas- I thought it's it was- Basque country right yeah it, it just seemed so picturesque and there was like mist everywhere and cobblestones and it really was um I think there was something so primal about outdoor cooking and cooking with fire and keeping it really simple and having just really well-sourced ingredients that aren't messed with a whole lot. And uh, very ironically, it was the first place to email me back. And they said, yeah, absolutely. We have housing. And I said, okay, great. I'll be there for a couple of months. And they said, no, 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 no. You're going to be here for six months. And I was like, oh, okay. I guess we'll make that happen. Awesome. <laughs> so yeah, because I was a little bit, um, basically, they they choose a couple people every year with a little bit more experience to kind of stay the whole season um, to help out a little bit more in the kitchen. So uh, I was very, very lucky <laughs> with regards to that. And it was it was definitely one of the, the coolest places for me to be. And I think it fit me perfectly in my personality. It wasn't it wasn't this stuffy kitchen where everyone's wearing chef. No one wore chef. <laughs> you know, we just wore t-shirts and like ratty aprons that didn't actually match. And nice. it was, uh, 
it was it was really really fun did you did you want to do this just to do it did you want to do it to prove something to yourself I just wanted to do it I I just I always thought it was really really cool to work abroad I had a a sous chef I think um when I first started out and we were good good friends and he was telling he had I think he actually went to culinary school in France Mm -hmm. uh, or like worked in France for a little bit. And I was like, man, that is so cool. I like, I have no idea how you would do that or like how to even go about it. And, you know, again, it's, it was that I got to give myself more credit sometimes, (laughs) but, you know, like just figuring it out on my own and figure, you know, figuring out how to make the things that I want to do happen in my life. Um, so I made that happen and it was, I was so nervous when I got there too. <laughs> I didn't even sleep the first night. And then I got into the kitchen and realized like, it's just a, it's just a kitchen in another country and they might not be speaking the same language, but. But it is I the still, same language, right? I, I, yeah, I understand the movement, you know, I got to. I got to work in what they call the Brasa, which is the grill area with Victor, the chef. Victor's first language is Basque, you know, like he doesn't actually really speak a whole lot of Spanish. Um, But I didn't, we don't have to communicate, you know, I would watch him, I would pull the plates out and, you know, it's these visual cues. And I think he, he saw me picking up on those really really quickly so that's why I kind of got invited to like work in that area too so (laughs) way to own it I love that um would you say I mean this is one of the best restaurants in the world right so it's number three right now (laughs) yeah I guess for you I mean obviously you learned a lot that you're still carrying with you and you mentioned it a little bit it's just this like simple approach right to food there wasn't a whole bunch of fancy things put on a plate with tweezers, right? Is that, that's what it sounds no, like. No, definitely okay. not. No tweezers. <laughs> so I guess the biggest takeaway from that experience. Biggest takeaway was that you can literally put a shrimp on a plate with olive oil and sea salt, and it could be one of the most delicious things that you eat. Um, I think, you know, it really just speaks volumes again to the sourcing of ingredients, um, the care for the ingredients when you get them, you know, they had a fish, they had a whole fish tank, you know, so the prawns would be kept in salt water in a circulating fish tank um, to kind of keep them nice and juicy and moist. And the fish was scaled to order um, because when you take the scales off, it kind of like messes with the, it just, it messes with the freshness. So, uh, you know, the fish might not be, be alive but they they took all the scales off to order um the the rib by the big chuletas uh they never even saw the refrigerator they would they would be slaughtered and then they get wrapped in linen and they would just live under the meat slicer that would never happen in america um but what it does is it dry ages it you know and so every single day it's just getting more and more and more dry aged uh which is really really cool i think it was uh it was about um it takes out uh, a piece of the kind of like institutionalized restaurant that you sometimes with all the ordering and, you know, you got to go through these big companies here. 
it really was, um, you just felt a lot closer to nature when you were cooking. And obviously it's not very hard when you walk out the door and you're in the middle of this beautiful valley in this tiny town. <laughs> that helps quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I think that's really where I had kind of developed this desire to cook over fire. Um, and I obviously also being in spade, I love tinned fish. And uh, so we actually worked six days a week there. Uh, we only had Monday off. And so after Sunday service, uh, we only did uh, Spanish lunch on every day, except for Saturday. Saturdays, we would do dinner. So Sundays after lunchtime, so around five or six, we would definitely celebrate the end of the week. Nice. <laughs> and oftentimes I would find myself the next day eating a baguette in my bed with cream cheese because they love cream cheese there. And you know, a different tin of fish. That's, that's just what I would eat on my days off. It was the best thing ever. <laughs> it's a little, a uh, little foreshadowing, I think. Right. Cause you were there a little bit. Yeah. You kind of fell in love with, absolutely. You fell in love with tiny fish there. I did. I did. I think, you know, for me too, it's, it's the art of the preservation of mm-hmm. uh, an ingredient that it will spoil very quickly. You know, I feel like even before meat will spoil. Like I said, you know, they have the big chuleta that they, you know, as long as it's kept at a certain temperature and humidity, it's going to dry age. And people do some crazy shit now. (laughs) They'll dry age fish or whatever. But fish, fish especially spoils very, very quickly. You have to be very, very careful. Um, And, you know, learning about the history, learning about salting a fish, salt cod even, um, is really cool to me. I think the history of, of all of that stuff is really cool. And how did people, how did people eat fish without it going bad before refrigeration um, and figuring out, uh, not figuring out, but just uh, basically being super curious about all different types of styles of tin fish, because in Asia, the tin fish that they have is so different than anything we know, you know, definitely not in olive oil, it's in soy sauce or miso. Uh, So there's, there's this um, common link between tin fish and so many different cultures. And it was, it's just really, really, it's kind of like, um, like if you think about it, every every culture has a different flatbread. You know, some right. people have pita, and then we, you know, or like a pizza or naan or whatever it is. It's kind of the same with tinned fish. You know, you find these different ideas everywhere, but at the base of it, the idea of we need to preserve the freshness of this fish for later consumption in the winter time when we can't go fishing or when the fish is out of season. It stays the same. Um, and I think in Europe, they've, they've really, because of the generations and generations of that art, they really have it down. You know, you open the tin and they're perfectly anchovies. They're laid in there and they use really good olive oil. I love watching those videos on YouTube of the Portuguese women or Spanish women cleaning anchovies super quick. And they're all sitting down. I love it. Love it. <laughs> well, it also takes me back to grandma's basement, right? Where everything was yes, preserved. Absolutely. When you were talking about, you know, being with nature, it reminds me of my grandmother because she was also, she was a farmer and during times where, especially harvest, like that's what she cooked with. I mean, that's, it was just, everything was super fresh and then it was preserving corn and tomatoes and all of these things from her garden. But that's really like, that's how for us, 
you know, that, that's what cooking is. It's, it's about Absolutely. being with nature. Yeah. Absolutely. It's about being with nature. Yeah. I mean, my grandma grew up in the depression era. And so, yeah. you know, and when my, my dad grew up very, very, very poor, mm-hmm. um, you know, and my, my grandpa quit school at sixth grade. He was a janitor for his whole life um, at the high school that my dad went to, yeah. <laughs> you know, in a tiny town in Illinois. And, I think with, um, and I find myself, I, I find myself kind of thinking about this a lot with less, I feel like I can do more. Um, it's like, if I have a, if I have an order list, for instance, and it's like, look at, you know, there's 15 varieties of in season vegetables and 10 varieties of fish. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. There's too many options. But if you give me two vegetables and one fish, I'm going to be more creative about what I make uh, because I have to be. So it's, it's, it's being um, like I said, with less, I feel like I can actually create more and I'm smarter about the way that I cook. And I honestly, I feel like more accomplished and I feel more proud of what I cook when I cook with a lot less. Um, And again, that goes back to, you know, it's, it's a continuous circle with, I love cooking in nature and I love cooking in the wild because you don't, you don't have much, you know, you bring a cast iron pan or a cast iron pot, you have fire, that's it. (laughs) You know, So it's really about, you know, you working with the heat and figuring it out and um, you end up doing some weird things. For sure. Hopefully, but right? At, yeah, but at the end of the day, like I said, it's that it's that spark of creativity that really um, kind of keeps me going. And I think right now, especially in my life, being my own boss, because I have, I'm doing so many different things. I've got so many weird contracts that I do for personal income, and I've got my tin fish business. It's this this way to kind of like keep my you know those creative sparks in my brain flying and sure. it's it's easier for me to see myself doing this whatever this is mm-hmm. two three four years down the road from now as opposed to being a restaurant chef and walking through the same doors and doing the same you know not necessarily doing the same food or the same thing but it's it's very repetitive and I I guess I realized pretty pretty recently that I that's not the way that my brain operates right well beautiful segue because talking about doing more with less um let's talk about top chef because and this is what fascinates me. Tell me, how did this happen? Like, did you, were you approached? Did you get an email? Did someone call you and say, Sarah, we want you on Top Chef? <laughs> so I definitely got a cold call <laughs> when I was living in San Francisco. And uh, usually what happens is uh, after the fact, after our year on the show, you're asked to recommend people for the next season. Um, so someone along the way must have recommended me, but it was also, it could have been one of those things. Um, I was getting a lot of offers at that time. It was, you know, I think I just had um, had a couple of like James Beard nominations and, uh, you know, under 30. No, not just (laughs) had a couple James Beard nominations. Okay. Let's pat yourself on the back a little. You were getting recognized. You were getting recognized Um, for your awesomeness. Yeah, I was, I was getting a little recognition. And, um, I think, you know, if you Googled like San Francisco rising star chef or, you know, whatever you could, 
very easily Google, I'm sure my name popped up as well. So I basically got a cold call. (laughs) I got a cold call in San Francisco and then I, um, I had kind of gone through the entire casting process and then I said, uh, I'm sorry. I, I got offered a really great job with one of um, the one a chef that I had been really admiring, uh, this female chef, Melissa Perello. Mm-hmm. She asked me if I would run Octavia. Um, and I was kind of in between jobs. And so that's kind of why I entertained the whole casting process, went through the casting process. Uh, but then Melissa offered me the job and I was like, I can't, I'm not gonna, what am I thinking? I can't go on TV. I'm crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I... I turned it down and I said no. And then I didn't really even think about like burning a bridge. I was just really excited to work um, for Melissa. So the next year I had actually, it was about two days into me moving up to Portland and I got another random call from an LA number. I picked it up and it was a casting person again asking me if I wanted to be on the show. And of course I was like, I just moved to a different city. I have this job I have to do. I can't do it. I'm so sorry. And at that point I thought, well, I really definitely burned that bridge now. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so the next year uh, when I was, uh, I definitely, you know, I needed to change the scenery. So I had moved to a different city and then I get into a restaurant and I was like, oh yeah, different city, same restaurant. Mm-hmm. I just can't like, I don't want to be in the restaurant anymore. Um, so I was looking for something else. I text the casting people. Like, hi, I'm ready this year. It's like, you know, casting is a little different this year. I was like, damn it. I really did ruin it for oh, myself. No. But I guess uh, that was actually the all-star season. Um, but again, I just thought I ruined it for myself. Uh, and then, of course, the following year was March 2020 and I got a random text. I was working at Soda at the time. I never really was um, laid off or anything, but uh, it was, I don't know, you know, I had a little bit of time on my hands. Work wasn't so crazy. It was the first time I was working at a place where I actually felt like I could take a little bit of time off and I wouldn't, it wouldn't like disrupt the system too much, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so to speak. Uh, So I said, plus, like, I mean, at that point, we potentially were all going to die in a zombie apocalypse. So no one really knew. (laughs) You're like, this is it. This is my final shot. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. I'll do it. Um, So I went through the casting process again. And I was very lucky that they had showed me, of course, it it was going to be in Portland that year. And I was very sad because I love traveling. And I was like, man, I wanted to explore a different city. But we... I still got to see parts of Oregon that I hadn't really seen before and, and really experienced some different things. Um, so that's my top chef story. I said no but too many times. But <laughs> until I, finally I mean, said yes. something worked. They still, they were hanging on to your number and your name for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I read that you, when, when you were invited to be on the show and filming was in Portland, you were studying. What exactly were you studying? Other seasons? Um, I definitely studied other seasons uh, to a certain degree. Yeah. That was actually making me a little bit more nervous. <laughs> oh, I bet. Was it overwhelming? Yeah. I mean, I was like, I would watch maybe an episode and it'd be fine. And then I would get halfway through the next episode and I'd just be like so stressed out, you know, ah, I don't know if I could do this. So I finally just had to stop watching because it was, like I said, it was stressing me out and you know, there's a lot of self-doubt that happens. You're like, man, that person is like a way better chef than me. Crap, I'm going to do so bad on this. 
So I basically just told myself that if if I do terrible, I'm just going to come back. I'm going to delete all my social media. Sound like it never happened. <laughs> no harm, no foul. <laughs> Didn't exist. Um, but you did. You did really well, though. You did really well. I did. I did. I shocked the hell out of myself. Yeah. Like that much. Do you think? <laughs> I think I shocked the hell out of everyone because I was the nervous Nelly of the group for sure. Do you think sometimes because I read somewhere that even when you create a plate of something just for yourself, that you critique the crap out of it. Do you feel? I do. Yeah. yeah. I sure do. Do you feel somewhere that there's like? <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm feeling this too lately. Imposter syndrome. Like people are going to, Oh yeah. At any moment, 100%. they're going to figure me out and I'm not that talented. A hundred percent. Absolutely. A hundred percent. They're going to figure out all my tricks. They're going to figure out that I actually have, you know, no palate and my food's too salty or too sour or whatever yeah. it is. Absolutely. Or, or uh, the other thing too is especially in, in this kind of uh, Instagram TikTok world that we live in, it it is incredibly difficult to have any sort of real, genuine new idea. You know, yes. basically, we're all kind of feeding off one. Even if you're like, man, this is, I think this is a great idea. Half the time, I'm like, did I see this somewhere? Mm-hmm. You know, so there was also there's also that that you know I definitely overthink <laughs> about all the time is am I copying someone oh no is someone gonna get mad at me yeah. like you know I'm not I'm not doing anything super special someone else has definitely done this before you know I definitely say that a lot you know mm-hmm. my my go-to is t- telling people somewhere some little old lady has done this a million times over I'm not doing yeah. anything special so it's so funny that you said that I interviewed um a recipe developer created cookbooks. And that was my question to her. Like sometimes when you're doing research for recipes and you have something in front of you and you see, you see it eight bazillion times on Google. Right. And she said, yeah, absolutely. We're not reinventing the wheel with these recipes for this cookbook. So I'm sticking to the stories behind the recipe. Mm -hmm. This is what my grandmother used to cook. So that's what I'm going to do and freshen it up a little bit in my own way. So I just always thought that was interesting. Yeah, you're right. You know, for, for chefs and recipe developers, maybe you're not necessarily creating something brand spanking new, but it's the story behind what you're cooking. It is, you know, and I think, um, you know, again, seeing, putting yourself out there, uh, you know, what I did realize putting myself out there is that, you know, maybe I am a lot more creative than I give myself credit for. And maybe I do, you know, I've had, I've given myself the opportunity to have all these different experiences and work in, you know, a Michelin star Chinese restaurant in San Francisco and work in the Basque region at a very simple grill restaurant. Um, but I've given myself the opportunity to, to really learn about different cuisines and techniques where, you know, again, I don't think that I'm doing anything that anyone hasn't done before, but I'm able to understand and realize like, Hey, you know, what goes really good together. That most people don't think about Parmesan and miso goes freaking great together. It is two umami bombs, like crazy, (laughs) you know? And so when you're roasting like eggplant, for instance, I make an eggplant dip. It's so people are like, man, this is so delicious. It is literally roasted eggplant, Parmesan and miso 
that's it. No salt, no nothing, three ingredients, boom, done. You know, you Love get it. your acid from the fermented miso. You get a little bit of acid from that Parmesan. You get the cheesiness, you get the nuttiness. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's taking the different experiences that I've had and kind of analyzing uh, those ingredients and putting them together in a really interesting way. And on the show, you know, it was a really diverse season and you had all these awesome cooks. Uh, but at the end of the day, you had, you know, Maria cooks Mexican food and Jamie cooks Vietnamese food and Shona cooks Japanese food and uh, Gabe cooks, uh, you know, Mexican food as well. And so you have all of these people who are cooking a specific cuisine and then you have me and I'm just a wild lady in the corner putting crazy shit together like Parmesan and miso and everyone's like, what the hell is going on over there? So I think that for me was a little bit like, oh, maybe I do approach, um, maybe I do approach food with a little bit of a different uh, lens than a lot of people. Thank goodness, right? I mean, that's what makes you you unique and different. That's what makes me me. (laughs) Absolutely. And yogurt, apparently yogurt apparently yogurt is my security blanket everyone always asks me they're like do you have you always loved yogurt I'm like I gotta be honest with you I just went to the refrigerator is the first thing I decided to grab not sure unclear okay are are you okay (laughs) with I do love yogurt yeah yogurt's delicious are you okay with the name yogurt queen though are you okay with that oh yeah okay absolutely always (laughs) I I think uh you know again it's uh the, the whole TV thing is a huge learning experience. But one of the biggest things I learned is like, you know what, just lean into who you are and lean into yourself. And the more you lean into it, the more that you're going to get from it, yeah. you know, the more, you, and again, it's, it's, uh, you know, my yogurt queen title forced me to make a whole bunch of videos with yogurt. I would have never done and don't put yogurt and weird things. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's being creative um, and continuing to to say, okay, well, I'm going to just lean into this thing. And, you know, whether, whether or not it's food, I think, you know, it's been a really good life lesson of like mm-hmm. lean into who you are mm-hmm. um, and really embrace it because the more that you do that, the, the more powerful it comes across to other people. And um, I think, you know, especially with the whole tin fish thing, it's kind of weird. I don't know. I put weird flavors in a can, but it's also, uh, <laughs> you know, I light up when I talk about it. And the more that I light up when I talk about it, the more people are going to be responsive and they're going to absorb what I say. And, you know, then I can really talk about the things that are important to me, like, you know, sustainability and, you know, the abundance of fish on the Oregon coast and maybe why we shouldn't be trying to tin salmon and tuna because we have all these really small fishermen who have these canneries that, Mm -hmm. that that's for them. Like, let's not take money out of their pocket. Um, So it's, it's really being, um, I think, leaning into all of those things, yogurt, whatever it is, has really given myself, I, you know, I almost created the platform for myself to speak to the certain things that really, you know, it was basically me being like, okay, great, I'll be this person you want me to be. So now I can talk to you about the things I actually want to talk to you about because now you're listening to me. Beautiful. I would say you light up when you talk, period. You're just, you're very animated. <laughs> Maybe- I'm pretty sure that that's maybe why they love me on reality TV. (laughs) (laughs) Just like super animated and you definitely light up. And I love that you said lean in. That's been my advice to myself the last like six months, just really leaning into things that uh, make you you and that you love doing because like you said, you will get more out of it on the other side. 
if you just lean in, absolutely, lean on in. Absolutely. Um, for the show, <laughs> what changed for you? Because you said you you did you didn't have a whole lot of confidence in yourself. It sounds like, but then definitely not. <laughs> at, at some point, though, you were like, "Hey, I am good. I am good at this. I know what yeah. I'm doing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I still feel like sometimes I have no idea what I'm doing, but I think um, I think it's just realizing that no one else has any idea what they're doing <laughs> as well. <laughs> you know, you it's, no one, yeah, no one, no one else has an idea. Um, we all kind of just kind of do whatever. Um, it is a lot easier to, I, I guess, when you mess up on TV, <laughs> you know, you're I, there's something about messing up on TV that's a little bit. It's humbling, but in a in a in a good way. Continuing to do social media very um, regularly has also helped maintain that confidence level since the show and mm-hmm. um, taking risks. I I always used to take risks. You know, I went to Spain, and yeah. I feel like I kind of got into a little bit of a rut. Uh, you know, late twenties, early thirties, and I wasn't doing. I, I think it's it's easy in that time to be like, well, I should be getting married and having kids and doing, doing the life thing. Right. Um, and you know, maybe like you said, that's everyone has their own path. You know, I don't have to do that. And, you know, I realized that maybe I wasn't in the best relationship and maybe, <laughs> you know, there's certain things that I want out of life, um, that I didn't have the confidence to do because, you know, I was in a weird place where I was trying to be someone for someone else um, and not just being the person I want to be. You know, I was afraid of someone calling me a sellout, <laughs> you know, or all these other out, outside influences when really um, I'm, the, I'm the person who I need to make happy. I don't need to make anyone else happy. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I'm so so crazy busy and I'm doing so many weird things all the time and it's a lot of anxiety but I really haven't been this happy in a really long time and and that means the world to me because you know (laughs) I don't know it's just it's yeah it's just it's so nice you know it's it's I feel like my food is better actually like what I cook for people I get excited to cook for people now and you know before sure you know I I could put together a menu and whatever, but I just, I didn't get any joy out of it, you know? And I had this whole idea that I, well, I moved to Oregon to like focus on life things and I just want to clock in and clock out right now, but that's not who I am. And it's not who I'm ever going to be. So, you know, I, I had the opportunity to, to start my own thing. And I just thought, well, if I don't do it now, I'm this, there's literally never going to be a better opportunity yeah. for me to do it now. Um, and if I don't do it, then I'm never going to do it. And I have my, I only have myself to blame for that. So it is refreshing when you start to whittle away the things that you don't want, right? It's like, yeah. I can do this and I can do this and I can do this and I'm pretty good at these things. And then you kind of go yeah. real talk with yourself. I don't want to do those things though. I really want to do yeah. this. And then that's where you go. Speaking of, yeah, um, Ten Fish, like, I mean, we, we've been talking Ten about fish. it a little bit. And in some of the interviews I've read with you, it was this, I'm going to start this company. I'm going to start this company. Where, where did you get this idea to Ten Tiny you Fish? Know, so when I moved up to Oregon, I, I had always had this, like, 
I want to have like a tinned fish thing. Um, so when I moved up to Oregon, I registered my tiny fish LLC. And the one thing that I would made in restaurants that people always loved in the Bay Area was pickled anchovies in the Spanish style. So bocarones. And it was a lot easier as I had done my research I was like well shelf stable products <laughs> I don't have all this whole thing definitely kill someone so maybe I'll focus on a refrigerated product first um and then kind of work my way there okay uh so I was very 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 slowly doing um what's called a HACCP plan which is kind of like a food safety mm-hmm. thing that you need in order to to do your whole thing and figuring out commissary kitchen and the whole nine yards um, and by the time I had like finished the HACCP and whatever, it was a literally March 2020. And I thought, well, I don't want to waste my money if we're all going to die in the zombie apocalypse again. <laughs> you know? So I was like, well, we shouldn't put this on the back burner. Right. Um, and then, of course, like I said, the show had happened. Uh, you know, I really didn't think that they would air the moment that you know they were like well what is your ultimate dream you know if you could have anything and I was like I kind of want to own a boutique cannery as weird as that sounds <laughs> um and I had a buddy who again very very lucky he basically said hey if you're not doing this because of money there's no reason to not do something you're passionate about I personally need to invest because I have to decrease my taxable income you're doing me a favor as much as I'm doing you a favor. So please take my money. Wow. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. I, guess I'll, I guess I'm going to do this. So I kind of had it in my mind that I was going to start my own little cannery. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple months into that, I was like, man, it is a lot. I'm definitely going to need more money, huge investment, uh, feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, but that was when I had, was contacted to do like a collaboration tin with um, with the cannery up in Willapa Bay. Uh, it's about two and a half hours northwest mm-hmm. uh, from Portland. And I went up there and I checked out the cannery and I kind of started talking to them about my own dreams and desires to have my own cannery. And they were like, well, you do realize we could just manufacture it for you. You know, you could come up here and do all your R&D and you know, send it to the seafood processing authority. We'll get everything going and we can, we can do it for you. You don't have to set up the whole infrastructure of a cannery, you know, because at that point I didn't know that that was even an option. I had no idea, you know? So then, then it was a mad dash of like, you know, okay, let me talk to as many people as I can who manufacture a product, um, as opposed to like, very hands-on <laughs> make it because as a chef I, I didn't realize that there's this whole other world out there mm. of, of packaged goods that get made by completely different people that maybe think of the idea in the first place right. um so that was kind of I found them in August at the beginning of August of last year and they said it's possible to get products on the shelf by Christmas. And basically I'm a very competitive person, especially with myself. So that's all you had to tell me. And I was like, okay, amazing. <laughs> I'm going to work as hard as I can to get products on the shelf by Christmas. <laughs> so I hustled my butt off um, and I did it. <laughs> amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Good for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> did you also though, was it in, in starting this company and going down this path, did you also kind of realize too that, there were all these 
these fish out in the ocean that we're not paying attention to and they're incredible and they're delicious and it's sustainable. Absolutely. I, you know, it's just, I think it's the, again, it's the chef in me where I'm like, everyone does smoked salmon. Everyone does tuna and olive oil or, you know, whatever. Like we have so much of that on the shelves and I'm going to be honest with you, the tuna and olive oil from Italy or, or Portugal is delicious. Right. Why would I, why would I even try to compete with that? Like, that's insane. Um, you know, and again, it's recognizing the, the art of the preservation of fish with a global perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't just, it's not just domestic market, you know, we, we've got, we've got Asian tinned fish that we don't even pay attention to, you know, and I find a lot of inspiration from different cultures when I'm cooking a meal. So I, I did a little bit of research and I just, I really wanted to, you know, one focus on a different species than than the normal things you find in gotcha. a tin. Um, I think think that's more interesting. Uh, you know, bivalves are incredibly uh, helpful to the environment and the oceans. So I use a lot of bivalves. Uh, I think, you know, again, we have so much rockfish. I'm very excited to kind of do some R and D next round on some lingcod or even some sablefish. Uh, you know, it's, it's taking the, it's taking the idea of, you know, being a chef who sources local mm-hmm. produce because it tastes better mm-hmm. um, and applying that to a consumer packaged good that you're going to find in the store uh, on the shelf. Because to me, the closer, the closer you get to the source of whatever it is, the more delicious it's going to be. And also you know, there's a, there's a, there was a huge guilt. Um, I don't know when I became this nature person, but there's this huge huge guilt that I was feeling of like, you know, I'd worked in restaurants for so long. You see how much waste happens. Um, and you know, just starting a company, I was like, I'm increasing my carbon footprint as a human times a hundred right now, just starting this company. But what can I do to thoughtfully, uh, you know, keep it at a minimum. And again, it's choosing to source locally so that I'm not, you know, we're not dealing with freight. We're not dealing with energy to then freeze the fish and then the freight. Uh, so it's kind of this full circle. And, and as I was mentioning too, about the, you know, the fishermen who also suffered during the pandemic, they couldn't sell their fish to the restaurants, you know? So they were sitting on a whole bunch of fish. What are they going to do? They're going to put it in a tin. They're going to freeze it. They're going to do whatever they can. I don't want to compete with them. It's not about competing with them because at the end of the day, if we don't recognize the fish that, you know, ground fish or trash fish, whatever you want to call them, we don't use those up. Fishermen really aren't going to go out for them anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to make, they make more money on salmon. They make more money on tuna. And, you know, we end up exporting (laughs) lots of stable fish to Asia Lots of ground fish goes into making fish meal for different animals um, or even for like processed things like hondashi or what, you know, whatever it is, is, you know, we're not, I feel like we're not respecting (laughs) the fish that we have in abundance on our coast. Um, And a lot of that is just familiarizing people with that fish. And as a chef, I think um, I'm able to do that. And I'm able to do that by taking different flavors and saying, look how delicious this is. Maybe it's not an olive oil and soy sauce, uh, but let me show you how to like make this into a really awesome dish. Let me show you how to 
have a really gourmet meal out in the wilderness that's shelf stable that you can make very easily by yourself. Um, so it's, I guess, just approaching it with a different angle. Like yeah. I do everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, I mean, I could, I feel like I could just, um, hear Oregonians ears perk up as soon as you said, take this and make a meal <laughs> out in the wilderness. Like that's a very yes. Oregon thing to do. Is it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That kind of like high end camping was one of my main target markets that I wanted to, that's to awesome. approach, I guess. What are you tending right now? What, what fish are you? Um, so, in right, tins? so right now I've got mussels. Uh, they're from, Taylor shellfish farms up in Washington. Okay. Um, those are in like a very, it's kind of a more like Moorish escabeche that you find uh, in Spain. Spain, yeah. Not spicy, but very spiced. Uh, and then I've got rockfish in soy sauce. It's soy sauce, gluten-free soy sauce, organic cane sugar, mirin, and wasabi powder. And then I've got, uh, what else do I have? Uh, octopus, which I did with, uh, clarified butter and dried dill and lemon, uh, which is probably everyone's favorite. <laughs> and then I've got smoked gooey duck. Of course, I had to do gooey duck from the Pacific Northwest. And, um, you know, again, it was me being lucky in the sense that, you know, I'm working with Taylor Shellfish and they're like, hey, we have a freezer full of gooey duck because we couldn't sell it because restaurants weren't operating. You know, we'll give you a good deal. And I'm like, that sounds great I'll do something I'll figure it out you know (laughs) uh, so my gooey duck is uh pretty heavily smoked and then I did brown sugar organic brown sugar and um what else do you do paprika garlic so it's basically like bacon bacon. (laughs) okay and then where where can people find uh tiny fish uh so I I'm definitely all over I just finally have someone helping me um I realized that I am indeed a chef and not a salesperson. <laughs> so I've got some lovely help from Real Good Food here in Portland, which is a small distributor. And um, you can find me all over Portland. I'm at like Elephants and Provador and Wellspent Market. Uh, I'm down in Eugene, Market of Choice. And like, there's a place called Party Bar in Eugene, um, kind of all over the place. I'm at a couple wineries as well in the awesome. Willamette Valley. Um, yeah, it's great. And the best part is that, you know, I, you know, again, with the whole, we live in an Instagram world thing, you know, I really wanted to approach this with a, as much of a business mind as I could. And, uh, you know, the marketing and how your product looks, <laughs> like I said, very important these days. Uh, so I hired uh, a design team that was kind of in my PR umbrella um, and what I had always loved is, you know, me being the weird kid that I always was, uh, whenever we would go to places like Ranch 99, um, kind of like Wajimaya uh, here in Oregon, like a Japanese or Asian grocery store, I'd find myself in the snack aisle and I would look at these packages with like cute little creatures fishing you know I got like a frog fishing on top of a turtle and I have no idea what the snack actually is but it's you know there's these cute characters and bright colors and it makes you smile and laugh and you're curious uh so that's kind of the the vibe that I was going for when it came to the look of the actual product uh I told my designer that I wanted 
SpongeBob meets anime. Nice. <laughs> and I'm, she pretty much nailed it. <laughs> very, very specific. I like that. Yes. <laughs> um, we're going to wrap up a little bit, but I have to ask just a couple of totally random questions. When you cook at home, what do you like to cook? What do I cook at home? Uh, it's, you know, I live by myself, so I mostly cook vegetables when I'm at home. I love cooking vegetables. I love uh, firing up my little bicho tan grill. Uh, any sort of like broccoli vegetable is my favorite. I love soup season. Um, I I don't know. For me, like I never really gravitate towards the meat section, especially cooking for myself. If I buy a whole chicken then I'm gonna be eating chicken for a week and that's just boring to me right. <laughs> uh, I think that um, vegetables are really uh, they're really beautiful and, and they provide so much different flavor and you know it's not it's not a huge commitment <laughs> to buy like a bunch of carrots and a couple bok choy <laughs> totally. As, it doesn't go it doesn't go bad as fast I don't have a freezer full of meat I just I don't really need to operate on meat and obviously I cook a lot of fish too <laughs> fantastic and then um tattoos do you just have tattoos on the left side oh. of your body <laughs> I do actually I have my right foot tattooed um okay. but for the most part yes I, it's just one side of the body I think it's mostly my brain like a coloring book I have to finish this one page before I can start the next page <laughs> so nice. otherwise it's uneven nice. yeah I don't think there's anything more frustrating I love to color by the way I have to finish yeah. what I'm coloring before yeah. I move on to anything Absolutely. else you, you understand yeah it makes it's total insane. sense yeah I just saw the arm and then the leg came up and I was like oh okay there's tats on one yeah. side yeah yeah, some people are like, oh, it's like party on one side, plain on the other. I'm like, yeah, whatever, Abby, you want to analyze it, analyze it all you want. Honestly, yeah. I think it's just me not, I want to finish, finish one side and then we can start the other side. Makes total sense. <laughs> Makes absolute sense to me. Um, and I also appreciate that um, the fact that you love a pizza shoals. It was a... I do. A restaurant <laughs> I discovered through Anthony Bourdain. You said that earlier. Um, oh, he visited. Cool. I had no idea he even went there. Yeah. He visited a pizza shoals um, on a show. And I just said, I'm like, I'm going there. That looks incredible. I'm going there. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. I think it's, it's definitely probably my favorite. Uh, I do love, uh, love Lee's 50 50. Great, great pizza. But to me, it's more of like flatbread. When I think of pizza, that's like red sauce, you know? So totally. pizza shoals to me is like that red sauce pizza that I so love. So good. And there's just so much love. All, there's all the love in the pie. So much love. So much love. A hundred percent. We're going to wrap up a little bit. Oh, um, and you also, uh, one other thing, you love dogs. Um, I'm a huge I do love dogs. animal <laughs> fan anyways, but dogs, yes. I you, love animals. <laughs> and you got them from the Oregon Humane Society. So I did. shout out to I'm Oregon Humane Society. Yes. Absolutely. I'm a big adopt, don't shop person when it comes to dogs and children, quite honestly. <laughs> nice. Good for you. I, yes. I would love nothing more than to adopt a child. Uh, maybe, you know, once I can like, once I get my own shit together. Yeah. Get your shit together first, uh, but, would you? <laughs> yeah, I need to get my shit together. And then, um, yeah, I, I would love to, I would love to adopt a kid more than like, I the whole pregnancy thing scares the crap out of me. I hate doctors. I, bleh, I don't like shots. Shockingly, I know I can do needles with ink, but I, I, I hate shots. I still have to be like, can I lay down? Can I please have some juice? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> some juice. Can someone hold my hand? 
Pretty much, yeah. I love it. Okay. Uh, final three, best advice you've ever been given? Um, I don't know that it was necessarily advice, but I had read this book um, and it was by comedy actor <laughs> Nick Offerman, who yeah. plays Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec. Uh, but in his book, he said, luck is when preparation meets opportunity and i think that for me that is really something that i'm always going to remember um you know i think a little bit of luck in life goes a really long way but you know i i consider myself very lucky but had i not had i not come up to oregon with the idea of tiny fish in the first place i wouldn't have been as prepared i wouldn't have been able to get everything on the shelf so fast had i not been thinking for literally you know a decade about you know my love of like the asian grocery store and asian ingredients i would have never known about the tin fish culture in asia i would have never um you know been thinking in my mind about this like spongebob meets anime type of packaging and uh i just it's like my, the wheels have been turning for a long time and i just never really put it down on paper and then and then someone was like this is your chance Sarah." here you go. Yeah. It was like, it all kind of came together all at once. Um, which I think is honestly the way that I cook, it looks a little bit like a mess. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, holy shit. I don't know how it, like all the food just got on the table, but it did. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Very good advice. Uh, what's your happy place? The forest for sure. <laughs> I, I was going to, I love, I was going to predict that. Yeah. Now. I, I hate, um, you know, I love, I love being on top of water. <laughs> love being on boats I, I like swimming too but I'm more like I like being on top of water near water um I like being in the forest I hate my phone most of the time <laughs> stare at it way too much want to throw it against the wall so any any time that I can get away and literally forget that my phone exists is the best time for yeah. me um, that's so funny that you said that I got an alert on my phone. I think it was yesterday. It's the once a week alert that tells you your average screen time. Oh, screen time. I yep. <laughs> almost, I like literally felt like I was going to vomit. I'm like, ugh, really? Yep. Time to make no, a No, mine's change. terrible. Yeah. Time to mine's terrible because I do all my videos on my phone too. Yeah. And I'm, you know, it's, I sit there in the morning, even, you know, social media, it takes it's a huge time suck you know i'll wake up in the morning and i know that i need to post or whatever 45 minutes later after comments and messages and responding you know i'm like oh my god i've literally I, know. I woke up and was on my phone for an hour that's how i started my day i know <laughs> i know yeah i mean and, and i do all of my work on my phone too and it's just so i i give myself a little bit of grace and a break there but still it's right. like ugh, gross yeah yeah I mean, I don't know what yours looks like. Mine, mine's about four hours <laughs> per day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, so, it's so icky. It's so icky. Okay. It sure is. Um, in all things food and drink, what do you crave? What always sounds good? What always sounds good to me is pickles, raw fish, and rice. Yeah. I love pickles, raw fish, and rice. To I could eat together? pickles and rice. Mm -hmm, like a little rice bowl. Okay. Love it any sort of pickle fish and rice is that makes me I could live on that food for mm -hmm. weeks without getting you know of course like I switch up my pickles and switch up the fish and maybe sometimes it's grilled and maybe sometimes it's raw but pickles fish and rice is very nutritious also <laughs> yes, I was gonna say it's very very good for you as well and in the, the drink yeah. category anything 
Um, you know, I'm not really the biggest drinker, but I can definitely polish off the bottle of mezcal quicker than most things. Nice. <laughs> Love me some mezcal and tequila. <laughs> Fantastic. That was a good answer. Um, you are so much fun. So much fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is great. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to let everybody know, first of all, follow you on Instagram because it's delightful. Um, but also oh, yes. look for tiny fish. Um, and yeah, absolutely. and I would just suggest, I mean, we have market of choices all over Oregon and they support Oregon businesses. So if they don't see tiny fish on the shelf. Go ask them to carry tiny fish. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Just send me a little email and I'm going to be honest, I just forwarded someone else and they take care of it. And it's great. <laughs> Perfect. And your, uh, your website quickly is just sarahhelman.com, right? Yeah. And then I have uh, the tinyfishcode.com as well. If uh, you need any online orders, I also sell some great merch. I We're going to drop some new merch this week. <laughs> All about the merch. Well, merch. Sarah Hallman rhymes with ramen. You've been so much fun. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so for much chatting again with for having me. This was great. You've been listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma with me, Trish Gloss. You can watch this podcast and subscribe on my YouTube channel. Just search Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma. You can also listen and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.